mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So, can you answer the question of the heavenly elder that was posed to St. John in our reading from Revelation 7 today? Just who are these? Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I'll give you a hint. What festival of the church here are we observing today? These uncountable white-clad folks have a lot going for them. St. John didn't dare to give an answer, but given the benefit of Scripture's revelation to us, we can venture an answer, and with great confidence. And the text mentions a couple of great things about these individuals. First, they have come out of the Great Tribulation. That in itself, to be rescued from danger and trouble and persecution, is a wonderful thing. But then the text continues. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Robes, whitened by blood. An extraordinary miracle, is it not? But it's no ordinary blood, is it? It's the blood spilled by the fist of the high priest's guard. The blood splattered in Pontius Pilate's fortress by the lashes of the whip. The blood oozing onto the thorns from the crown pressed down into his scalp. The droplets that fell into the dusty earth on Jerusalem's streets on that agonizing walk to Golgotha. And the blood which ran freely from the nails and gushed forth with water from the wound of the spear. It is the blood that has been shed for them and for you for the forgiveness of your sins. It is the very same blood which we will share this day with them, with one another, with all the departed saints, and with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven. Yes, to come out of the great tribulation and be given righteousness by Christ's redemption are wonderful things indeed and marvelous blessings. But these saints who have gone before us in faith have still more to offer us. We ought also to remember that they are holy examples for us. And more importantly, that they are comforted now, living eternally in the presence of God and praising Him constantly. Most of you are aware that as Lutherans, we do not call upon the saints for help or ask them to intercede with God for us on our behalf. And yet, strangely enough, the Reformation got its start when a young law student traveling near Erfurt, Germany, got caught in a violent thunderstorm and called upon a saint. A bolt of lightning struck nearby, and in mortal fear he pleaded, Help me, Saint Anne, for I will become a monk. Delivered from this danger and evil by the Lord's hand and not by Saint Anne, this young man indeed became a monk. And the rest is history. Yes, what started off as a theological error by Martin Luther set him on the path toward the greatest rediscovery of biblical truth since Jesus' own ministry. And now, based on the study of Luther and others since, we believe that there is not biblical evidence that would support our invocation of the saints. 
Yet even so, there are certainly positive aspects to remembering the saints. We ought to honor those saints who have gone before us. We can seek to be inspired by their examples. The Augsburg Confession, one of the fundamental documents within the Book of Concord, has an entire section about this topic. It's section 21. Let me read a portion of it to you. Concerning the cult of the saints, our people teach that the saints are to be remembered so that we may strengthen our faith when we see how they experienced grace and how they were helped by faith. Moreover, it is taught that each person, according to his or her calling, should take the saints' good works as an example. For instance, His Imperial Majesty, in a salutary and righteous fashion, may follow the example of David in waging war against the Turk, for both the royal office that demands defense and protection of their subjects. However, it cannot be demonstrated from Scripture that a person should call upon the saints or seek help from them. The Confession then quotes 1 Timothy as to why this is so. For there is only one single reconciler and mediator set up between God and humanity, Jesus Christ. Continuing with the Augustana then. He is the only Savior, the only High Priest, the mercy seat and intercessor before God. He alone has promised to hear our prayers. According to Scripture, in all our needs and concerns, it is the highest worship to seek and call upon this same Jesus Christ with our whole heart. And then it concludes with a citation from the first epistle, epistle of St. John. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. And so just like the meanings of most of the Ten Commandments, the Lutheran teaching on the saints has both a negative aspect on what we should not do and a positive aspect of what we should. We do not have biblical support to justify calling on them or praying to them or through them. On the other hand, we can respect the saints and learn from them to live out our Christian faith on earth. From this, by God's grace, each of us in our own lifetimes can seek to let the Holy Spirit guide us into becoming not just saints in creed, but saints in deed as well. We study the saints so that we can become more saintly. Not just the famous saints, but other Christians in our lives too. We seek to follow the saints as they sought to follow Christ, so that we might become more Christ-like. We are called as Christians to be a distinctive people in this world, God's people, those of His chosen Israel, like the tribes we heard listed in the first reading. By following the saints who in turn followed Christ, we will not end up looking like the rest of the world. Recall what St. Peter wrote, if you will, words which ought to remind us daily of our being adopted by God in our baptisms. You are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, that you may declare the wonderful deeds of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Each generation of the church then has to ask itself, 
How are we doing in God's work? Are we participating through word and sacrament in raising up saints on earth? Well, it often seems as if we are not. There was a substantial multi-year research project called the National Study of Youth and Religion that was completed a few years ago. One conclusion of this study is that the mainstream church in America is dying not because of its failure, but because of its success. The report reveals that most teenagers are not in rebellion from or hostile to religion, nor to their congregations. Most do not think that the church is full of hypocrites or insincere people. And many are not only content to come to church, but even eager to do so. But in too many places, they see very little in those churches to care about. What they are hearing from pulpits and hearing from parents can make them indifferent to the church. Here's a quote from that study. Overall, the challenge posed to the church by the teenagers is as much theological as it is methodological. The story of God's courtship with us through Jesus Christ, of God's suffering love through salvation history, and especially through Christ's death and resurrection, and of God's continued involvement in the world through the Holy Spirit, has been muted in many congregations. It has been replaced by a complacency that convinces youth and parents alike that not much is at stake. The problem does not seem to be that churches are teaching young people badly, but that we are doing an exceedingly good job of teaching youth what we really believe, namely that Christianity is not a big deal, that God requires little, and that the church is a helpful social institution filled with nice people focused primarily on folks like us. This, of course, begs the question of whether we really are the church at all. The saints who went before us and who are now in that multitude before the throne of God did not believe that. Trusting that God saved them for eternity by grace through faith, they also knew that in this life God does require much of them. He asks them to live up to the name that they bear. They are Christians. They are meant to be little Christs in this world. They are to show this world what it is to take up the cross and follow Jesus. What does that life look like then? The Christian life is a virtuous life. It is framed by courage, integrity, justice, self-control, faith, hope, and love. But how do you become virtuous? Well, we become virtuous by doing the things that a virtuous person does, obviously. One becomes courageous by doing the things a brave person would do, even if our hearts are beating wildly with fear. The challenge for us is that it's very difficult for young people or for anyone to do what is virtuous if we never actually see any virtuous people. How can we become courageous if we don't see courage shown? How can we have self-control if we have no role models around us? Now, I am not a fan of the theatrical pseudo-wrestling that is sometimes on TV, but I can still borrow a concept from it. Look at it this way. 
the church over many, many generations and over the centuries is called to be a sort of tag team of holy living. St. Paul, for example, did not hesitate to show his congregations and to encourage them to follow his example. He wrote this to the Thessalonians. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. We did not eat anyone's bread without paying, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not burden any of you. It was not because we have not that right, but to give you in our conduct an example to imitate. You see, Paul has the courage to encourage people and invite them to imitate him only because he is trying with all of his might to imitate Jesus. And this is something that all of us Christians are called to do. St. Peter wrote the following, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No guile was found on his lips. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he trusted to him who judges justly. A father leading a son. A mother teaching a daughter. One generation of the church taking the hand of the next generation. One saint taking the hand of the next and teaching not only God's forgiving grace to us in Christ, but also God's love for all, lived out in love and service to our neighbor. That is what All Saints Sunday invites us to celebrate. This Sunday invites us to join that multitude that no one could count and to live out a most wonderful adventure, seeking to become holy, following the example of the saints as they follow the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us also consider another attribute of those saints. For this day is also one in which we remember those who are dear to us who have died in the faith. We may rest easy with hearts that God comforts, because those who have gone on to glory before us are comforted too. They are the ones in heaven, clothed in those white robes, and God has wiped away every tear from their eyes. The Lord Himself has sent His angels to bring them to Him. He has reached out to them and touched them and healed them and restored them. His comfort will endure from age to age. Tens of thousands of years, or however long God gives this world, shall pass. And yet those white-clad saints will still be glad. We've all known those that we would consider to be exemplary Christians in our lives. But imagine having known some of the highly acclaimed saints of the church, the giants of the faith whose names are familiar to us. Consider what you might ask them if you could talk to a saint as he or she drew near to death. If this dying saint had enough strength to speak, how do you think that one would answer if we were to ask, do you regret that you have walked this path? You have suffered much along the way. You have chosen the good and you have forsaken the bad. You paid a price for following Jesus. You had to bear a cross for your discipleship. You have lived your life for God and for others. You have spent the years that God has given you. Do you regret any of it now? 
Well, if Nathan Hale, who was merely to be hanged by the British for treason, could boldly state, I regret that I have but one life to give for my country, then the dying saint who was led and strengthened by God would very likely regret nothing at all. Nothing except that he or she did not follow Jesus with even more earnestness. And that would be their saintly answer even on this side of heaven, in this veil of tears. While still in this hard world, lying on his or her deathbed, the saint is able to know just some of the comforts of God. But what if only a few moments later? That saint is embraced in the arms of Father Abraham like the poor man Lazarus. He or she is greeted with a cheer by angels and archangels, seraphim and cherubim, hugged and clapped on the back by apostles and prophets and by the saints who walk the same good path. See that child of God once again held in the arms of a saintly mother or father who had carried his or her own cross, who had fought the good fight in their own generation and now rest in Christ. But above all, see that saint who is now rescued from tribulation and comforted by Jesus himself, whose blood has given him or her that pure white robe. Those saints regret nothing now, nothing except perhaps for us. For we are all too lukewarm in our discipleship. Some of us have hardly even begun to fight the good fight toward holiness of life. We have missed chances to witness to Jesus, missed chances to draw others to Christ, and we have deprived ourselves of that peace which surpasses all human understanding. Remember then the saints. Admire them for their holy lives. Be grateful for the comforts that they received during their earthly life and even more for the comforts they now rejoice in in heaven. Let us seek to follow their example all of our days, always remembering and always trusting that it is for Christ's sake alone that God wipes away our tears. And in that moment, we will be joyous in heaven with our Lord. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be His now and forever. Amen.